Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. The 11th chapter of John. And as was not necessarily the plan uh, tonight, um, this message that we'll look at certainly complements the theme of our church, adding to our faith. Um, and this message was prepared before uh, the theme was presented. And so only the Lord can get the glory for just how these things complement one another. So we are in John chapter 11, and we're going to consider a, a very well-known account in, in the Word of God. And, of course, there might be one of you or some of you tonight who are unfamiliar with this account, but um, it, it's taught to children. It's, there are songs that have been written about uh, this narrative um, in the Gospel according to John. And so, you know, often when we come to church, we hear a lot of the same things. We hear a lot of the, the same uh, Bible history. We call them, some people call them Bible stories. But may we not take for granted, may we not glaze over and ignore what the Lord wants to do in your heart tonight, although you've heard messages from this Bible account before. Trust that, that God has something fresh for you as we look into John chapter 11. We are all acquainted with the reality of disappointment to different degrees, of course, because life unfolds differently for all of us. Um, how would you define the word disappointment? What is disappointment? I'll maybe submit this definition to you tonight, that disappointment is an emotional state arrived at when an expectation does not become reality, leaving, uh, leaving us feeling angry, sad, frustrated, and maybe even depressed. Disappointment. Disappointment comes only because we have first had expectations. If you don't have expectations, well, disappointment is impossible, right? You're disappointed when someone is late because you expect them to be on time. Amen? All right. You're disappointed when the hotel experience is lousy because you expected it to fit the five-star review from Yelp or Google Reviews or, or something of that nature. You, you read about it, you got there, and it did not look like the pictures, right? Uh, you're disappointed. You're disappointed when uh, the Patriots lose because of how incredible they always played with Tom Brady, right? Uh, maybe some of us are, are over that, beyond that, but maybe some of you each Sunday you're disappointed. May the Lord bless you. Stick with hockey. The Bruins are, are pretty steady, right, Anthony? No? No, they're not? Um, Marsha brought in a Stanley Cup tonight. The water bottle, Right? said those things are cool you're as cool as the drink within the cup all right so of course there are more significant disappointments in life than those examples uh, like how your health has taken a negative turn or that job you work that you thought would help you start saving money is not yielding the return maybe especially in today's economy it's just not enough uh, from your perspective Perhaps you had a personal expectation of where you would be at in your life right now, but your expectations uh, do not make sense with reality. Uh, 
Maybe there are some here still struggling with losing that loved one several years ago. And, of course, the, the list of disappointments can go on and on and on in our lives, and we can come at it from, from, every, from every angle. In our passage, John chapter 11, we, we find some people disappointed by the death of Lazarus. We know these people well. We have the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ who were following him just about everywhere he went. And, of course, we have Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary. These would all be uh, the characters in this uh, biblical account. And so, as we have been familiar with Lazarus and Mary and Martha and, of course, the disciples, all of us would agree that these are people that Jesus loves very much. Close friends of his, by the way. And these are also people who reciprocated that love. They love him because he first loved them, right? And so they love Jesus very much too. But when Jesus did not meet their expectations, their eyes of faith were obstructed by the emotions produced by disappointment. But although their faith was obstructed by emotion, Jesus still performed one of the greatest miracles before he laid his life down for them on the cross. And so what can we expect of God in our disappointments? What can we expect of God in the midst of our various trials and difficulties which we will call disappointments? Well, the title of the message tonight is Expect What You Believe expect what you believe. And so really this account covers about 46 verses and we're not going to read for all 46 of them. We're going to read about 35 or 36 of them. And they're necessary for us to have the authority of God's word behind what is preached and of course to give us context. And so we're going to start with verses 1 through 8 and we're going to skip a small chunk and uh, follow along and I'll tell you where we are at. So John chapter 11 beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Really, the, I believe the point of verse 2 is this is the Mary who loved the Lord Jesus Christ very much. Verse 3, Therefore his sister sent unto him, unto Jesus, saying, Lord, Behold, him, him whom thou lovest is sick. And that is a key word as we go through the message tonight is, is the love of God that he had for his people. He whom thou lovest is sick. Verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. He didn't move. He didn't go anywhere two days after receiving the news. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? 
And so Jesus wants to go to where Lazarus is. And basically here his disciples are again in their spiritual immaturity, almost trying to get in the way of Jesus from doing what he in his wisdom knows he needs to do. And so uh, skip to verse 14 and we'll go through verse 27. So with the complaining that the disciples made and uh, a little bit of explanation that the Lord Jesus gave and they're still not getting what's happening here. In verse 14, Jesus says very plainly unto them, Lazarus is dead. Listen to these words from the Lord. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. (laughs) Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off. And catch this tonight. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. So the Jews were, were there on location. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus. So Jesus arrived, and now him and Martha are interacting. Martha uh, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. He says to Martha, Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord. I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And so what she's saying is, I, I, believe, what, I believe in the reason why you came. I believe that you came to be the, the Savior. And so she's, she, she's looking backward in her life about what took place in her soul when she chose to follow Jesus. She understands that he came to be the Savior. Okay, now verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. So she's saying the same thing as her sister. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore, Jesus therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he hath been dead four days. I guess she's not very passionate about her brother coming back to life because he smells too much. Uh, interesting. We don't, we don't know what we want sometimes. It's incredible how indecisive we can be. But verse 40, Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou should see the glory of God? He's referring back to verses 24 through 26. 
Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, he's talking about the Jews, all of the onlookers, the crowd, the audience that is standing by, I said it, that they may believe. He's referring to faith when he is using the word believe. This is about the third time Jesus has used this word, and it's referring to faith. Uh, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then catch this church, verse 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. They were saved. They were born again because of what took place this day. Father, bless the few moments as we consider the authority of your word. I ask this in your name. Amen. We see, first of all, that in the, the wisdom and the love of Jesus, it was good for the disciples that Lazarus had died. And you might be thinking, how was that good for the disciples? Because the faith of the disciples was not as mature as they may have thought it was. By this time, I think you and I would think that they had an unwavering faith in who Jesus was. But again, as, as we considered the first few verses of the passage, um, their comments, their, their words, and uh, concerns exposed that there was a little more work to be done in their hearts regarding their faith in their Lord. As I preached uh, just a couple weeks ago here, we saw and we understood that the work of the ministry exposes our hearts. As we spend time together as, as a church and we, we serve one another and we spend time together and we're serving in, in different ways, uh, the things that come out of our mouths, the, the way we might carry ourselves really expose what is in the heart. And so as Jesus is setting out to go do uh, ministry, to go serve somebody, they're, they're, they're trying to hinder the Lord. So as seen in our passage, when, when Jesus wanted to make his way to where Lazarus was, the disciples questioned his decision. They questioned his, his wisdom. But if the disciples were listening, oh, how important it is for us to, to, be, to be good listeners because, because good listeners are good learners and good learners are good leaders. And so it's very important for us to, to, to catch things when, when someone else is speaking. So if the disciples were listening when Jesus said in verse 4, he told them, this sickness regarding Lazarus is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God, yes, referring to himself, might be glorified thereby. The word thereby, he's referring to the, the death of Lazarus. And so if they had listened to those words, they would have believed that he was going to do something for his glory on the behalf of the people that he loved. But... Instead of expecting Jesus to do something great, they expected the worst. They assumed the worst. I think a lot of us think that, oh, if Jesus was alive and in person with me bodily, oh, how much more I would believe him. But look at these disciples. They're as real as you and I, as skin and bone as you and I. They've got personality. They're sinners saved by grace. They're struggling here. 
And so when Jesus said, let us go to Judea, the disciples expected to be stoned and beaten up by the Jews. And so they had to go through Judea because it was a very necessary route for them to get to Bethany, where Martha and Mary and Lazarus uh, resided. So because the men didn't pay attention to his words that we have in verse 4, Jesus says the following, again, most plainly. Jesus has to be blunt with his men. In verse 14, he says, basically, gentlemen, Lazarus is dead. And he says, Jesus says this, and I'm glad for your sakes that he didn't make it, if you will. That's what he says. I'm glad for your sakes. I'm glad for your benefit that I was not there to the intent that, that ye may believe, to the intent that we might mm, add to your faith. Although the Lord Jesus already knew what it was those he loved needed, everything that was just said confirmed that their faith needed, to, and it needed an experience that would provoke maturity. They needed an experience that would provoke maturity in their uh, Christian life and their discipleship. So in the time frame of two days between receiving the news that Lazarus was sick and when Jesus took his men to go to where he was, Lazarus ended up dying. As a result of his death, people began to gather. People began to congregate in the vicinity of his burying place. Notice verse 19, who these people were. When Jesus arrived on scene uh, four days later, Jesus approached many of the Jews. Verse 19, And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Notice verse 31. The Jews, then which were with her in the house, and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily, and so on and so forth. And then we see in verse 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things with which Jesus did. When Jesus and his men approached the village of Bethany, Mary and Martha were mourning their brother's death, which is right, which is justified, which is healthy, which is necessary, mourning the death of their brother. So they were mourning, and a crowd of unbelieving Jews were present to share the burden with these la- that these ladies had. Isn't it just like Jesus to draw a crowd? Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't even there on scene, and the crowd had already congregated. It's just like Jesus. Jesus wasn't there. But because of his, his sovereign, intentional delay, a crowd of people gathered. This wasn't just any crowd of people, but one that consisted of unbelieving, skeptical Jews regarding Jesus being the Messiah. I mean, this is a a recipe for something great to happen through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to understand that the believer who is thinking spiritually could see that this was the perfect setup for Jesus to perform a great miracle. I mean, you've got a dead man, you've got sad believers, you've got the disciples of Jesus, the, the apostles rather, because anybody who follows Jesus is a disciple, but the apostles there, those men are all there, and then you have the people who came, uh, the people for whom Jesus came to give his life. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. The, the Jews are right there. But let's now take notice of the spirit of Mary 
in Martha. The original expectation of Martha and Mary obstructed their view of seeing Jesus for who he is. And we see all this in verses 21 through 33. Um, we see that when Jesus comes, one of the first things that, that Martha says is, Lord, if you had been here, my, my brother would not die. And then the, the dialogue uh, continues and goes on, and Jesus and her, and Jesus is, is questioning her and trying to, to help her to think spiritually and to think in a fashion that is mature. And so the original expectation of Martha and Mary, it obstructed their view of seeing Jesus for who he is. And we can all understand this very well. We sometimes have a limited expectation of how we think God should be doing things in the middle of the dis disappointing times of life. Whether within our personal lives and families, what, maybe even if that's in our church, something happens, or the things that are taking place in our nation. We think God should be doing things a certain way. But what's actually happening within us is, is that our finite, our limited expectations step in front of our spiritual eyes. Do you understand that when the gospel was presented to you and the gospel was preached to you and, 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 and you realized that you were a sinner, it was the fact that the Lord had opened your eyes to your sin and to who he is. And then when the Holy Spirit came into your soul, when you placed faith in him, the Lord opened your eyes to spiritual spiritual things and he quickened you by his spirit you were once dead in your trespasses and sins but when the Lord stepped in you were resurrected unto new life in Christ and so Mary and Martha they had eyes to know and see and understand truth but their 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 eyes of understanding were obstructed by what they thought Jesus should do they were obstructed from seeing God for who he is these sisters were not only upset that their brother was dead, but they were given over to confusion due to the faulty expectation that they had of how Jesus should have done things. Their hearts were more focused on their idea of what Jesus should have done, that they were not recognizing what Jesus was there in Bethany to do. They were, so, they, they were, they were stuck in a rut of, of what they thought Jesus' timing should have looked like, that when he actually got there, they were still stuck there, that they weren't realizing what was all set up for him to, to do. They were focused on what they thought he should have done, that they, they didn't see what he was preparing to do now. They focused on what he didn't do. And, you know, we put air quotes around what he didn't do. He didn't make a mistake. It's just what he chose not to do in his, in his wisdom. And they did all that while failing to recognize the opportunity that was in place for Jesus to be glorified. In other words, church, Mary and Martha were, were leaning on their own understanding instead of leaning on who Jesus always is. They believe, listen, we, we, we saw this in the dialogue between Jesus and Martha here uh, there in the verses uh, 21 through 27. They believed, in fact, that Jesus came to be their Savior. She says, yes, I believe that thou art the Christ who, who should come into the world. And then they also knew that he would, what he would do for all believers in the future. Martha knew prophecy. Look at verse 24 again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 
And she's referring to the, 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 the coming of Christ where he, he called, he, the dead in Christ shall rise. They knew the, the prophecy. But who Jesus was and, and will be should have given these sisters confidence about who Jesus is in the here and now. They were failing to recognize what Jesus wanted to do in their disappointment. Oh, they knew who Jesus was, and they knew what he was going to be in the future, but there's, there's no way that the Lord is here to do something with this. Jesus replied to Martha. He replied to Martha's belief of what he'll do in the future with verse 25. This is key tonight, church. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus was reminding Martha of who he is. Not who he was, not who he will be, but who he also is. So first he says, I am. That means that he is there, as always. And he's not there just to, to be present. Martha needed to see that Jesus wanted to bring life to their current situation. Yes, he gave spiritual life, and yes, they're going to have everlasting life, but he really wanted to bring revival to the current situation. Almost like that, the person who's the life of the party, who shows up, and now the, the party can go on, right? Now it's going to get fun. And so we, need, we, we mean this in all seriousness and in a, in, in a, a spiritual aspect that Jesus was there to do something. Jesus is never just there to hang out. When Jesus shows up, that, that, that means that there, there's something to this. There's something spiritual going on here. There's something that's going to last for eternity here. And so when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he, he, it means that he brings eternal life and purpose to those who are spiritually dead. I want you to know tonight that your disappointment has a spiritual purpose. If Jesus is with you, he, he didn't just save you and leave you to hang out. And he's not just going to give you eternity when you croak. He wants to do something now, so long as he is with you. And he's with you in your disappointment. Let's not fail to recognize also that Jesus being with Martha and Mary in this disappointment proved that he was motivated by love. Everything that comes into the life of the Christian does not come to you until it first goes through the loving, sovereign hands of God. They're vetted. They're filtered through his hands, especially for you. Jesus is always motivated by his love to glorify the Father. Jesus is also motivated by his love for his own people. Always motivated. There's nothing that he allows to transpire in your life that does not first come through his love for you. And then Jesus is motivated by his love for lost sinners. In our text tonight, it is the unbelieving Jews who had congregated around Lazarus' burying place. So Jesus was there to bring glory to the Father. Jesus was there to, to glorify himself in the eyes of his own people, the apostles, Martha and Mary, and any other believer who so happened to be there, and to draw the lost to Christ, to himself. Jesus was with Martha and Mary at the burying place of Lazarus in Bethany, to demonstrate his love. We see this certainly in verses 33 to 38. It says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which, uh, weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit 
and was troubled. Jesus was becoming emotional. And said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. And the Bible says that Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold, look, observe how he loved him. Jesus was there to demonstrate his love. Listen tonight, I do believe the one reason Jesus wept was because of his great love for Martha and Mary. His great concern for them. But listen, catch this. I know we agree with that at face value. I mean, that's a right belief to have. But he wasn't weeping only out of sympathy for their loss. He was weeping out of sympathy for their loss, but this love was twofold. You see, Jesus wept also because of his greater concern, his concern for the maturing of their faith. May we not forget uh, this truth in the middle of our various disappointments that it is right, it is healthy to come to God with all of our anxiety and our care, but we, we must conclude with a, a spirit that believes that God will be in our lives who He has always been. We should not just come weeping and mourning, but we should also expect that God is going to be faithful in this situation. There's nothing He brings into our lives that, that He does not intend to use for His glory. The Bible says in the 46th Psalm, in the first verse, God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. He wasn't just coming into your life to save you whenever you got saved in your life. And he's not just a, a coming, conquering king. The Bible tells us, and it tells us in our passes, and it tells us throughout the Word of God that he is a very present help in trouble. The Bible says in the third chapter of Malachi, in verse 6, he says, For I am the Lord... I changed not. Your disappointment or in your inconvenience doesn't change God's ultimate plan for your life. In fact, it has a lot to do with His ultimate plan for your life. Your disappointment, your inconvenience, your discomfort has a lot to do with His big picture for your life. You see, although Jesus was troubled, the Bible tells us in verses 33, 35, and 38, it tells us and gives us a picture that Jesus was troubled. The Bible uses the words groaned in his spirit, groaning in himself. Jesus wept. Understand this tonight, that he was not angry. He was passionate about his followers recognizing what he was doing in their disappointment. He was concerned for their faith. Oh, that they would just see what I'm doing. Oh, that they would just grow. Oh, they don't, they don't know what I'm about to do and how I want them to grow up and have eyes of faith. All of this was weighing on Jesus, for he knew what was to come. That's how he feels about many of us. He's just passionate about your growth and your development and your faith and your relationship with him. What was Jesus working to do with the disappointing death of Lazarus? The Lord was working to produce the fruit of faith in the lives of his followers. I mean, that's a big deal. He was working to mature his people, number one. Number two, what was he doing with the disappointing death of Lazarus, he was working to produce saving faith in the lives of the unsaved Jews. 
This was all about faith. As we look throughout this narrative, we see the word believe about three or four times. It's the same word as, do you have faith in this? Do you believe this? Do you have confidence in what I'm telling you? So Jesus allowed Lazarus to die so that he could raise him from the dead to provoke faith in his followers and in those who needed to be saved. Jesus allowed this man to expire. He allowed this man to die for the maturing of the faith of his people and for the salvation of the lost. He was using this as a platform for what these people so desperately needed to understand tonight. Jesus cares about the physical. Oh, he does. He created the physical. He created our faculties. He created our biology. He cares about your, even your emotions, but not as much as he does about the spiritual. Jesus can bring physical life. Jesus can bring healing. That's no problem for him. He spoke the universe into existence with his hands. He got his hands dirty and he created man out of the, the dust of the earth and he breathed into him the breath of life. It is no problem for Jesus to, to create life and to restore physical life, but he came primarily to bring you spiritual life and revival. That's the, the, the pursuit of Jesus in your life. He might allow you to be inconvenienced. He might allow you to feel sad or disappointment, or disappointed. He might allow you to get sick. He might allow you to get in a car accident. And he cares about the physical, but he came primarily and first and foremost for the development of your faith. We see this in verse 40 through 46 that Jesus cares about the physical, when he raises Lazarus back, back to life, but he did it all for the purpose of the spiritual, so that the faith of his people would be strengthened and that the lost would come to saving faith in Christ. It was so important for these followers of Jesus to face this disappointment. Why? Because it produces faith produced fruit in their lives. Jesus says again in verse 15, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. He says the man died physically and it's okay to the intent that the inner man might be developed in who I am. It was good for this to happen because it was used by Jesus to draw the lost to saving faith in him. Notice verse we, we know what happened in verses 40 through 45. Jesus says, remove the stone. And Jesus is praying out loud and he's getting the power of God upon him. And he cries out to Lazarus. He tells him to come forth. And everybody sees this and their jaws drop and they're awestruck. And the Bible says in verse 45, that many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. Do you see? If Jesus was not late, he would not have been glorified. But because he was late, many of the onlooking Jews turned to faith in Christ upon seeing him raise Lazarus back to physical life. They were born again spiritually. His followers were strengthened spiritually when he used the physical to show who he is. So Jesus was right on time. His time, a divine, providential, sovereign schedule to do something spiritually profitable for all people. Mature faith does not expect God to do things our way. 
Mature faith expects God to be God. Mature faith does not expect God to do things our way. Mature faith expects God to do what God does. So listen tonight, what you and I believe about God will determine our expectations of God. So what do you believe about God? You say, oh, I, I, I believe that he created me and he, he cares about me and he, he wants me to be happy and he, he wants me to, 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 to be comfortable and he, he wants me to have uh, uh, all, these, all these leisures and these, these dreams fulfilled in my life. And so, well, when difficulty comes, that's going to be your expectation. And you're going to wind up continuously disappointed. What you believe about God is vitally important because it's going to determine your expectations of God. As believers, we can expect God to take our seemingly inconvenient disappointments and use them for the building of our faith and thus for the glory of Christ. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God cannot be glorified through the life of His people unless we obey Him. There might be some of you tonight where God is not being glorified through your life because you're not obeying Him. You're not getting the glory in. Uh, God's not getting the glory in your relationships because you're not obeying God. Someone says, oh, I, oh I, I'm obeying God, uh, or, or I'm glorifying God, rather I'm bringing glory to Him. Yeah, but, but you're, you're disobeying him right here and right here and right here and right here. You're not obeying. Obedience to God's word and God's laws and God's commands regarding purity and holiness and, and, and all these matters are to be done in order for us to bring glory to him. We cannot glorify him without faith or without obedience. So no disappointment or difficulty is a waste of time in the life of the child of God. Not in the life of the child of God. Some of, for some of us, our disappointments, our trials are the greatest things that have ever happened to us. Because it's been in those days and in those times where we've experienced the faithfulness of God like never before. And we're closer to Him now than we have ever been. He knows what's good for you. It is, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that ye might believe. But if we lean on our own understanding, and this is where a lot of Christians stop, something happens and they, they put faith in their own understanding of the difficulty, if we do this, we will fail to see the faithfulness of God in it all and resort rather to carnal responses, demanding God to work according to our timetable, demanding ease and convenience in life as if we're God and he is not. So what can we expect of God in our disappointments? We can expect God to be God. You say, that that's it? Well, it's a pretty big deal. We can, we can believe that all things he allows to transpire in our lives are filtered through his deep love for us. We, we saw in this passage alone that, that Jesus loved these people so very much. We, so we need, to be, we need to believe that when disappointment comes our way. God loves me. And this is not necessarily for my physical good, but this is certainly for my spiritual good. We can believe that he is Alpha and Omega, 
that he is not only creator, but he's the sustainer of time. God is the one who has perfect knowledge of all that he allows to come to pass in your life. In our difficulty, God remains sovereign. He, and he is the one that determined that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. So church, believe that the Lord is faithfully, without ceasing, working in our lives. Jesus, the Lord is never taking a break from the lives of those who are saved. And what he's working on is to conform us into the image of his son. That's what he's working on. You see, not all things are good, right? Not all things are good, right, Ruth? Not all things are good. Not all people are good. Not all situations are, are good. But do you believe that God uses all things for good in your life? He does. I didn't get a lot of amens on that, but that's okay. You don't have to say amen to agree. But not all things are good, but he uses all things for our good. That's the sovereignty of God. God can take that which is, is, that comes upon your life due to the, the curse of sin in our world and because of the retaliation of other people that we can't control. And, and that does not um, undermine the authority of God and his plan in your life. There's nothing that can stop God's will from happening in your life. Nothing. Except for your blatant rebellion and running from God. But still... Those in Christ who die in this life will go to heaven and we will be conformed into the image of his son. You see, if you believe all these things about God, guess what? You can expect that he is at work in your current situation. If you believe he's sovereign, we'd say amen. We believe he's in control of time. Amen. We believe that he ordained before the foundation of the world that all the saved would be conformed into the image of his son. We believe that. Amen. Then we can believe that in our disappointments, that's what God's doing. But our disappointments can obstruct that. It's like when some of us had COVID and uh, we lost our sense of taste, right? And we went to go eat that food and we couldn't taste the saltiness and the, the sweetness and the spiciness and the, the savoriness of that food. You see, although our taste was obstructed, nothing about the food changed. It was, it's exactly the same. This, the same is even more true about God. Although our faith is obstructed by our emotions and how I feel about this and what I think and how I wish I could just get out of here and, and whatever, it doesn't change the character of God and what he's doing in your life. Your disappointments might obstruct your view of God, but they don't change him. Your view of God does not need to be obstructed, by the way, because mature faith expects God to faithfully be who he has always been. And who is he? How do we know the character of God? The word. The scriptures. Our emotions don't dictate who God is. Society doesn't dictate who God is. God himself tells you all about himself. A lot of times we can be reminded by looking back at the last difficulty in our life and being reminded God was faithful then, and apply it to now. He's not going to change just because three months went by since your last big disappointment and hardship in life. Mature faith expects God to faithfully be to you who he has always been. He's not just your Savior. 
He is your Savior. He's not just your coming King. Oh, one day we'll all get to heaven. Amen? Right now, He is the resurrection in the life. He's at work in your life to build your faith. So are you experiencing disappointment tonight? I want you to know that if you are, you can simultaneously experience God. I'm experiencing this hardship. Well, at the same time, you can experience the faithfulness of God. Maybe the amount of money that you need for the next month isn't there. Believe God is there. It changes the whole equation. Maybe that, that child of yours is no longer there for whatever reason. They went on to serve the Lord or they've been taken out of this life or they are running from God. Either case, believe God is there. Maybe your health is no longer what it was. Believe God is always the same in your life. Maybe love from your spouse is not there. Believe God's love for you is as strong as it has always been. Maybe there is a friend that no longer is there for you, but believe there is one who promised, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee, as God said to Joshua in the first chapter in verse 5. Whatever it might be, know this. Believe this. The Lord is wanting you to exercise mature faith. What kind of a, of a loving God would we have who would just leave us to ourselves and not provoke us to growth? What kind of a loving dad would I be if I just let my daughters live in disappointment? I'm setting them up for destruction if I do that. I must let God use me in their lives. Listen, you must exercise mature faith if you're going to live a life that pleases God. Mature faith gives God their disappointments to do with it whatever he wants. Mature faith does that. Mature faith looks for how the Lord Jesus Christ can be glorified in the middle of it all. Listen, there's always somebody around you who needs Christ, who needs to see you in a very dark situation. And yet, as the Jews watched Martha and Mary in an emotional dark place, they saw the resurrection and the life come through that situation. There are people in your life who need to, they need to see you cussed out at work and see you not retaliate. Because it speaks volumes about who's in your life. People need to see you struggling with this or that financially or with your health or with your family and still see that you praise the Lord. And oftentimes when disappointment comes, we forget about all that. Truth just goes out the window. It doesn't have to. You can simultaneously experience God. Mature faith looks for how the Lord Jesus Christ can be glorified in the middle of it all. God's priority is to receive glory from our lives by whatever means necessary. Fruit production is God's priority in your life. He'll take care of the physical so long as he wants you here. But what he's after is your heart. The most loving thing God can do for us as his people is to continue to purge us of the natural man by maturing our faith. So, 
Do not expect a disappointment for your life. It's foolishness. But do expect God to be God. And God is always holy, always loving, always just, always omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. Listen, God is always good. Good. Expect God to be at work in your life. Not, oh yeah, he saved me 20 years ago. Uh, he's coming for me. Oh, I'm just holding on. No, you need to see him right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. May we consider what the Holy Spirit may have said to you tonight. In the quietness of this place, pray. Let me give you some food for thought. Are your expectations of God based upon your wants or upon Bible truth? Are your spiritual eyes obstructed by emotion tonight? It happens, church. It happens to all of us. It happened to me Saturday night in the ER with my wife. Know this, Jesus cares. He cares more than the person who loves you the most in this life. He cares. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.